Section 29 of Passages from the Life of a Philosopher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dale Grothman. Section 29 of Passages from the Life of a Philosopher. Wit. Poor Dogs. Puns Double and Triple. History of the Silver Lady. Disappointment by the Milner. The Philosopher Performs Her Functions. Lady Morgan's Criticism. Alsop's Beer. Sidney Smith. Toss Up a Bishop. Lady M. The Gypsy in Spain. Epigram of the Planet Neptune. Epigram on Henry Drummond's Attack on Catholics in the House of Commons. On Catholic Miracles. It has often struck me that an analysis of the cause of wit would be a very interesting subject of inquiry. With that view, I collected many jest books, but fortunately in this one instance I had resolution to abstain from distracting my attention from more important inquiries. I may, however, note some illustrations of it which occur in my memory. The late Sir Harris Nicholas used to practice rather strongly upon some of his friends. I was not an unwilling victim. The pleasure derived from the wit, far exceeding any pain it inflicted. Indeed, Sir Harris himself one day expressed his disappointment at my insensibility by saying that he had never in his whole life been able really to hit me. The late Sir S. was sitting with him one morning, listening to a very astute but rather dry explanation of some matter about which his lordship had inquired. At last he threw himself back in his armchair and said, My dear Nicholas, I am very stupid this morning. My brains have all gone to the dogs. On which Sir Harris pathetically exclaimed, Poor dogs! It is evident in this case that the wit of the reply rose from sympathy expressed on the wrong side. The peer expected sympathy from the knight, but the knight gave it to the dogs. Another remarkable feature of jokes formed on this principle is that they generally depend on the intimate meaning of the words employed, and not either upon their sound or their arrangement. Consequently, they possess the rare quality of being translatable into all languages. One of the principles of discovery in many subjects is to generalize from the individual case up to the species, and thence to descend to other individual instances. A triple pun. Puns are detestable. The greater number of them depend on the double meaning of the same word, or on the similar pronunciation of words differently spelt. The following may serve as an example of a triple pun. A gentleman calling one morning at the house of a lady whose sister was remarkably beautiful found her at the writing-table. Putting his hand upon a little bell used for calling the attendant, he inquired of the lady of the house what relationship existed between his walking-stick, her sister, and the instrument under his finger. His walking-stick was a cane, 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 the brother of a bell, a bell, Abel. I mentioned in an earlier chapter my boyish admiration of an automaton in the shape of a silver lady, who attitudinized in a most graceful manner. Her fate was singular, 
at the death of her maker she was sold with the rest of his collection of mechanical toys and was purchased by weeks who had a mechanical exhibition in cockspur street no attempt appears to have been made to finish the automation and it seems to have been placed out of the way in an attic uncovered and utterly neglected the silver lady on the sale by auction of weeks museum i met again the object of my early admiration having purchased the silver figure i proceeded to take to pieces the whole of the mechanism and found a multitude of small holes which had been stopped up as not having fulfilled their intended object in fact it appeared tolerably certain that scarcely any drawings could have been prepared for the automaton but that the beautiful result arose from a system of continual trials i myself repaired and restored all the mechanism of the silver lady by which title she was afterward known to my friends i placed her under a glass case on a pedestal in my drawing-room where she received in her own silent but graceful manner those valued friends who so frequently honored me with their society on certain saturday evenings this piece of mechanism formed a striking contrast with the unfinished portions of the difference engine number one which was placed in the adjacent room the whole of the latter mechanism existed in drawings upon paper before any portion of it was put together the external surface of the figure which was beautiful in form was made of silver it was therefore necessary to supply her with robes suitable to her station this would have been rather difficult for a philosopher but it was made easy by the aid of one or two of my fair friends who kindly intervened these generously assisted with their own peculiar style and taste at the toilette of their rival siren sketches were made and the modests of the purest water were employed the result was upon the whole highly satisfactory one evening however the arrival of the new dress was postponed to so late a period that i feared it would entirely escape the recollection of the executive department the hour at which my friends usually arrived was rapidly approaching in this difficulty it occurred to me that there were a few remnants of beautiful chinese crepe in the silver lady's wardrobe having selected two strips one of pink and the other of light green i hastily wound a plaited band of bright auburn hair around the block on which her headdresses were usually constructed and then pinned on the folds of the colored crepe this formed a very tolerable turban and was not much unlike the kind of headdress called a toque which prevailed at that period another large piece of the same pink chinese crepe i wound round her person which i thought showed it off to considerable advantage fortunately i found in her wardrobe a pair of pink satin slippers on each of which i fixed a single silver spangle then placed a small silver crescent in the front of her turban i felt i had accomplished all that time and circumstance permitted lady morgan's criticism the criticisms on the costume of the silver lady were various in the course of the evening lady morgan communicated to me confidentially her own opinion of the dress holding up her fan she whispered my dear mr babbage 
I think your silver lady is rather slightly clad tonight. Shall I lend her a petticoat? To which I replied, My dear Lady Morgan, I am much indebted for your very considerate offer, but I fear you have not got one to spare. This retort was not a pun, but merely a double entendre. It might mean either that her ladyship had on invisibles, but not enough to be able to spare one, or it might imply that, having no garment of that kind, she was unable to lend one to a friend. About the time of the attempt to assassinate the Emperor of France by Orosini, an Englishman named Alsop was arrested in London, and afterwards tried and acquitted of a connection with the assassins. Alsop's Beer At a distinguished dinner party amongst whom was the Attorney General of that day, there arose a question as to who Mr. Alsop was. One of the company asked whether it was Alsop's beer, meaning whether the prisoner was the concoctor of that delightful beverage. The gentleman to whom the question was addressed immediately replied, It is not at present Alsop's beer, but, said he, turning to the Attorney General, if your prosecution succeeds, it is very likely to become Alsop's beer. Sidney Smith occasionally called upon me in the morning, and was ever the most welcome visitor. The conversation usually commenced upon grave subjects, and I was always desirous of profiting by the light his powerful mind threw upon the most difficult questions. When railways first came into existence, much reasonable alarm arose from the rapidity of the trains and the immense masses of matter in motion. One morning my friend called and asked me my opinion on the subject. I pointed out what then appeared to me the chief sources of danger, and entered upon some of the precautions to be attended to, and of remedies to be applied. Sidney Smith then asked me why I did not go and inform the government of the danger, and of the means of remedying it. My answer was that such a mission would be a pure waste of time, that nothing whatever would be done until some great man a prime minister for instance were smashed i then continued perhaps a bishop or two would do for you know said i looking slyly at my friend they are so much better prepared for the change than we are i have heard this view on the subject assigned to sidney smith it is very probable that it should have occurred to him although i scarcely imagine he would have given the reason i did for the preference his celebrated suggestion to a person who asked him how a man could find which way the wind blew when there was no weathercock in sight adds to the probability of Sidney Smith's originality. On the other hand, I may support my own pretensions to independent invention by referring to a parallel remark I made many years before. Opinion on Dueling At a large dinner party, the subject of dueling was discussed various opinions were propounded as to its absolute necessity i had made no remark upon the question but during a slight pause someone on the opposite side of the table asked my opinion on the subject my reply was i always wished that the injured man should fall on being asked my reason for that wish i answered because he is so much better prepared for the change than the wrongdoer 
i afterward learned with great satisfaction that when the ladies retired to the drawing-room the discussion was much criticized and my reply highly applauded the late lady m having a great desire to see mr barrow asked me to invite him to one of my saturday evening parties i expressed my regret that not having the pleasure of his acquaintance i was unable to ask him to my house as i never made lions of my guests a short time after a friend who was coming to me on the following saturday called to ask me to allow him to bring mr barrow who was dining with him on that day to my party in the evening of course i willingly gave the invitation and then wrote a note to inform lady m of the occurrence of the opportunity she wished for on the following saturday evening lady m was announced and immediately asked me whether mr barrow had arrived i said that he had and that he was in the further room i then added that in the course of a few moments i should have the great pleasure of presenting her mr burrow lady m who had several other engagements that evening said only tell me what sort of person he is and i will go and find him out myself i observed that he was a remarkably tall straggling person with a very intelligent countenance with these instructions her ladyship left me and finding as she imagined exactly the man i had described immediately accosted him the conversation was highly interesting and included a great variety of widely different subjects it concluded by lady m expressing her delight with her new acquaintance from whom she parted with this remark what a delightful gypsying life you must have led a slight mistake a slight mistake had however occurred which was not discovered until long after the person thus addressed was not mr barrow but dr waitley the archbishop of dublin in this chapter may be placed one or two epigrams which though upon subjects of transitory interest may amuse those who are acquainted with the attending circumstances it will be remembered that great discussion arose upon the conflicting claims of adams and la verrière to the discovery of the planet neptune a great controversy resulted which was at last summed up in the following couplet when airy was told he wouldn't believe it when chalice saw he couldn't perceive it winking status the clever and eccentric member for east surrey the late henry drummond who founded a professorship of political economy at oxford made in the house of commons a most amusing though rather strong speech against the modern miracles of the roman catholic church in which he spoke of their bleeding pictures their winking statues and the virgin's milk on this some profane wag wrote the following couplet sagacious drummond explain with your divinity why reject the milk yet swallow the virginity probably some clever fellow of that faith was at the bottom of this mischief for i have observed that the cleverest fellows seem to think that the merit of adhering to a cause entitles them to the right of quizzing it i was particularly struck with this idea when i saw for the first time at cologne the celebrated picture of saint ursula and her eleven thousand virgins the artist has quietly made every one of them more or less matronly
End of section 29 of Passages from the Life of a Philosopher 1917-1920